radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today I have a guest who has actually joined um, Agile FM before, David Hussman. Um, and uh, his Twitter handle is David Hussman. Surprise, surprise, right? With one N. Gordon Parsk, award winner. I think that was in 2010. David just goes by the dude. He is the authority in terms of Agile communities uh, in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. I don't think you really need an introduction, uh, David, but um, I do want to talk about a few things here. You reached out. Um, well, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. David, um, you reached out on Twitter to the world out there. You need some travel tips for uh, New Zealand. Uh, this trip is coming up here in November uh, 2017. You need some help, especially with the South Island. Uh, I can give you one. Do you need them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're asking people to tweet you, send you emails if they have any kind of special tips. So you uh, see something very, very non-touristy down there. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of wanted to go down there because I think it's the wild side, you know, and it's it's a geographically fascinating to me. It is fascinating, and that's why I gave you the Dunedin, because once you're down there, I've been there, um, you feel like this is the last thing before Antarctica, you know, and you're, you're like <laughs> so close, it's like this is it, right? So wonderful, wonderful place, uh, you're going to have a great, great time. Also, I just want to throw this out as a community organizer, you have your Agile Day Twin Cities your recurring annual conference day on the 17th of November 2017 in, uh, in Minnesota, Minneapolis, right? We do, yep. Yeah. And uh, you're also going to appear uh, at a conference uh, we are putting together in Miami on the 1st of February 2018, and your talk will there be products over progress. Now, let's talk a little bit about the word products, because when people go and visit your site, devjam.com, uh, there's a ton of products, products, products. What happened to projects and programs? Hmm. Yeah, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I know that when I started practicing some of this Agile stuff, it, in truth, the team I was working with, we were lost in you know, Java saves the day, and we were over-designing things, and we weren't making much progress. Mm -hmm. So... It was, I thought extreme programming was really nice because it like threw down to the feet of the programmers to say, first of all, you need to talk to people. And this customer metaphor was nice and fresh and capture things in these story cards. And a lot of the energy, though, was about making progress. I don't know if that's what they meant because I think they had some really nice metaphors for learning in there. Mm -hmm. But I found myself from like, you know, 2000 to 2005, just helping people not be so bad at getting things done. Mm -hmm. And then the more I got things done, progress, the more I was faced with this same question that I used to say was harder, but I think a better choice of words was that it was uncertain, which is who are we building these things for and what are their real needs and mm -hmm. how well are we satisfying their needs? Mm -hmm. And then while that's not a new question, when the delivery cycle started shortening up, then I started looking at like, well, how can we sort of shorten up this discovery cycle without just like writing things on cards or sticking things in backlogs and starting to really do a little bit of design thinking? Mm -hmm. And I don't think people are have putting as much intent into that as they are into like the constructionist side. So I don't think 
mm. programs or projects are gone. I mean, I used to record music, and you can't walk into a recording studio with some idea of which songs you're going to try and do and how much time you think you have for the budget you have. But right. you can't let that drive the creative process of producing music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you are, I mean, people who know you and tons of people know you in the community here, uh, they know um, that you're pretty agnostic in terms of the processes. You're very pragmatic. And uh, um, there is there is this product backlog in Scrum. You know, let's just put it out. Right? Another reference mm -hmm. to products. We're building all these products. But then um, there's this one question, and I saw that on uh, one of your sites. It says, are we meeting the needs of our customers, right? It's a super simple question, but why is it so difficult to answer this one? What can we do about this? Yeah, that's really good, and I love what you said. Like, what can we do about it? Because I, I'm a little bit weary of agile people that tell people what to do instead of what they can do. So I think concretely what we can do, and this is one of my crazy weird ideas, is I've been practicing with teams this idea of like impact-driven development. Mm -hmm. So that means when you queue up some idea, and I'm not going to say some work to do for a sprint, for example, mm -hmm. if you ask yourself, how are we going to measure the impact of this? Um, getting it done is not the impact measure. And back to your other question, getting things done is important if you want to try and measure the impact. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you can measure or assess some level of impact without doing a bunch of work, without writing a bunch of code, like by taking maybe some people out and doing some customer interviews. Mm. And that'll help you come up with some 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 quantifiable measures that you can start looking at. You know, I mean, if you're a subscription-based system, mm -hmm. hopefully you're thinking about, are we, are we retaining our subscriptions and are we growing and diversifying our subscriptions? Or it turns out we're trying a brand new thing, so we don't even care if people subscribe. We want to just see if they try, and then mm -hmm. that leads you to sort of that product funnel model of like, you know, try, buy, love. Mm -hmm. And those are three simple data points that you could start saying, you know, could we add measurement around this piece of work? Now, not every story or backlog item is going to be tied to that. But if most of them aren't tied to something that's measurable impact, either learning in production or outside of production, mm -hmm. then I think we just fall into like get stuff done instead of figure out what we don't know sooner. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also like from, from your position here and in terms of building the right products, right? What are the needs of a, of a customer? Um, to stick to your analogy here of the subscribers, right? Even if the subscriber amount would go down, what if the value is going up off the existing uh, subscribers, right? Um, are we building the right product? Are we, you know, um, turning a, um, a list of subscribers into a potentially um, increase of revenue or something like that, right? Even with a lower uh, amount of uh, subscribers. So isn't, what is value for you? You, you, you emphasize yeah. this quite a bit. So let's just riff off what you said, because I think that's a brilliant statement. It's interesting to go into companies right now that have a subscription model and say, how did you come up with your price? I'm sort of astounded how often that's almost an arbitrary number that someone fed to people. Or it's a gut feeling like, well, this doesn't seem like too much. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's astounding. And then they're they're so worried about saving like $15 an hour on some programmer, but they've arbitrarily set their pricing model. And... I have a friend who runs a company called Pricing Innovations, and her background is chemical engineering, but then she worked at Amazon for a while. 
And so she's applied a lot of the design of experiment stuff that she learned in industrial engineering to these dynamic pricing models. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I've spent a lot of time in the last five, six years talking about validation. Is it the right thing? Are we going after the right audience? She's augmenting that by talking about incremental valuation. And mm-hmm. she's talking about like radically new pricing models. And I think you can I think you can go to pricinginnovation.com and see some of her stuff. But if you look at like what we've done, I think really well in the last fifteen or so years is we've just shortened a lot of these cycles times for learning inside or outside of production, and that's wonderful. Now we have to start if we're confident there, now we have to start asking more higher order questions like mm-hmm. You know, is that the right audience? Is this the right price? I mean, so many companies are super scared of dynamic pricing. Mm -hmm. But there's a company here in Minneapolis that's doing dynamic pricing for Heathrow parking lot. So while you and I might not necessarily like it in the end, it's a great model for Heathrow. And if they're just shifting the price slightly, they're applying, you know, what Southwest Airlines did to a parking medium. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't we want to start asking that question? And, you know, it's, it's the neat part about that and the scary part for some companies is the challenge is just get out of your comfort zone of your scrum team because a lot of times the people thinking about the valuation are not even close to the scrum teams. Mm-hmm. But that's what you're describing here is uh, it's actually funny, right? Because I, I totally agree, like pricing, gut feeling, right? So where we think this would be very, very scientific, it actually turns out to be very often a a very casual approach, almost like throwing darts. And... Um, now, on the other side, a pricing innovation, I believe, really doing it right is, is probably hard work to come up with all these kind of things. Um, now, what do, you, what do you think when, when we see your stats out there, like executives, they would easily trade in um, short-term gains, very short-term gains for long-term mm-hmm. strategies? How does that all yeah, fit together? And, yeah, and, 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 and let's go back to your other question because they tie mm-hmm. together nicely. What do I consider value? Um, certainly probably as a kid that was raised in Minnesota by a Scandinavian mother, like I want to do good in the world. And so a big part of value is to try to make people's lives better. That doesn't mean producing the next coolest mobile digital device. It's understanding people's context and making their life better. Like when I was producing music, I always thought my job is to try and make this band as good or better than when I met them. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a certain part of value to me. <clears throat> I think another value that is, and this probably stems from my experience early with extreme programming, is like, I think it's pretty important to produce a system that's malleable, you know, because mm-hmm. the only thing that's constant is change, and it doesn't matter what version you put out, you got to have a system that can adapt. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of people don't look at the constraints that stop them from going to where they want to in the market that are, in, you know, technically induced. Mm-hmm. And certainly, to your last question, that's an interesting one. Like, what happens if we give these knobs to people who have more of a short-term view than a long-term view? They're probably going to do damaging things with them, but they're going to just do those damaging things faster. Maybe that will be better because the mm-hmm. organization will suffer the consequences more quickly and have a chance to start responding instead of just atrophying into like nothingness across time. Mm-hmm. I do think that more people that have learned how to use things like agile and lean methods to learn more quickly 
need to start framing the discussion for those people at that level that you just called. And I'm going to call those people the investors, whether they're <laughs> VC group or a large company that's budgeting. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, you know, budgeting drives a lot of bad behavior. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you can just go into companies and say, no more budgets. You have to start by kind of train changing the dialogue from progress to product and then mm-hmm. from product to investment. Mm, very cool. Don't you think it's ironic that tons of companies use the metaphor of a portfolio, but a portfolio is not a distributed set of investments. It's a distributed it's a distributed set of budgets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it's just and you know, and I think a lot of the people in that position, we haven't shown them you can make choices like what's your next best investment because we're too busy telling them how great we are at shipping things incrementally. Maybe mm-hmm. the next best investment is to not ship anything because we're so far off in the weeds with our product that we should just stop producing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you even, you even have that statement out there, value over uh, process. Mm, I noticed that on, on your, on your side, right? And that, that's a very strong statement. Um, what about the agile manifesto statement, individual interactions over processes and tools? Yeah, you know, on um, are you trying to squeeze November, in? That, are you trying to squeeze November, in, David? Are you, you trying to squeeze in value into the agile manifesto? <laughs> <laughs> Don't accuse me of such things, you radical. <laughs> on uh, November eleventh, two thousand eleven which happened to be National Heavy Metal Day, we had one of the Agile Day Twin Cities. <laughs> and I invited Ward to be the keynote. And Ward um, did this video recording. And one of the things he said that was just very brilliant and Ward-like is he said, the Agile Manifesto is good because we left the best parts out. And I was like, that's it, right? It's, just, it's four simple sentences that some of them haven't aged well, but a lot of them have aged pretty well. So... Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything in conflict with those, with what I'm saying, except for maybe like that second statement, like working software was a pretty important thing to throw down in 2002 or whatever, Mm. but it's not that significant anymore. It should be, you know, validated products over dead Mm -hmm. documentation. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, something super, super um, insightful would come out of your starting the statement with um, heavy metal day and agile twin days falling on the same day. And then <laughs> Ward, Ward is showing up for the keynote. It's like, okay, now is he playing heavy metal or uh, what is, what is next? No, he gave the keynote obviously. Right. But um, um, you make references to agile and lean. Is there any kind of distinction for you um, in terms of product, uh, product development should be, should be distinguished? I think because it's 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 older and more mature. I think that the you know lean has been closer to products as a guide, especially because it started in a hard world where a product is an obvious thing. Mm-hmm. And I think you know both like Scrum and XP is an example, and even like you know adaptive software stuff by Jim Highsmith and Crystal by Alistair. A lot of them were driving towards meaningful things like hey, get small groups of people bonded around you know, having cross-functional skills and trying to really get things done together. Mm-hmm. But if you look at, like, the signatories of the Agile Manifesto, there's not a product manager in there. There's not a product thinker in there. There's not a, pro- sorry, there's not a product design thinker in there. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a lot of people that were technology people, a lot of people that came from a project management background. So mm-hmm. the Agile stuff, I think, accidentally became overly constructionist. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas I think lean is more holistic. Now, where I always have struggled with lean stuff is, you know, I read this lean book one time. It had a chapter called Write Less Code. And I was like, oh, boy, I didn't think of that. You know, and yeah. I thought, hey, what XP does is show you how to write less code by validating your designs with tests. Hmm. But sort of what happened with test driven is a lot of people just wrote a lot of bad tests and then wrote a lot of bad code. And from a lean perspective, that's just more waste because it's all bad. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the some of the drivers are the same. I think the agile stuff has been more mechanical, and I think some of the lean stuff has been more meta. I've like mm-hmm. you said about me, I've always been sort of process agnostic. So it's, it's like trying to tell them what political persuasion I'm in. You know, I'm yeah. probably none and all. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, you know, you just got me thinking here with the with the manifesto. There was actually a, a bunch of people on that statement that are became really, really quiet in the industry. There's a lot of people you hear a lot from, and there's a lot of people you don't hear a lot at all. And uh, right. so, doesn't mean that they have nothing important to say. Maybe we need to check in on those. Um, I, David, let's let's talk about one thing here, and I think it has to come up. Um, you sold Def Jam, um, and one of the statements you made is to. Uh, uh, so you can focus on publishing your thoughts. What does the agile community has to expect from you? What do we hear from you in the in the short term here? Um, so one of the things I think that is under discussed right now is I, I I love the idea that many people are out there and have been out there talking about building strong teams, mm-hmm. and I think it's great that now people are kind of trying to move from scrum teams to product teams, and and you could simply put that as like Let's be more inclusive. But I think what's sort of missing is that, you know what, it doesn't turn out that it's always a simple mapping of one product to one team to one product backlog. And when you have complex systems, which many companies do, where there's producer-consumer relationships, like, you know, an SAP is feeding, like, a Java group, which is feeding, like, mobile or other, you know, customer interactions. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a, a whole team that slices through that whole technology stack. So now you have a model where the customer's needs are going to be met through cross-cutting concerns to use mm-hmm. like you know some of that uh, aspect-oriented language. One of the things I'm doing right now is I'm interviewing people in industry to say, how are you solving certain problems? How, how do you see people, first of all, in a simpler model of one team and one product, Blending sort of discovery and delivery. And so I'm going to write about that. I've been thinking about that called like, what's your next best investment instead of how much can we get done mm-hmm. or how can we advance throughput? But then the second part of what I want to write about is how do you help companies, which typically tend to be more IT than product, but large product companies have this problem too, where the needs of the customers or the consumers are met across teams mm-hmm. how do you validate within across and outside of teams because i don't see safe doing a lot more than just you know right. um, synchronizing the delivery of multiple tra- multiple teams mm-hmm. there's I think- not a lot of good stuff they took don reynolds and some of don's ideas but i don't really feel like there's a lot of strong mm. cross-team discovery i think that's one of the examples you had earlier right about a mechanical um approach like the safe safe area in this regards is more like, you know, clearly, you know, describing, you know, the the approach here. And whereas I think you have more like a more customer first kind of um, approach and you see everything through the lens of that. Now when you say publishing, 
Um, do you mean like a book or something, uh, or are you focusing on blog posts? That's a good question. You know, I've written a couple of books that were never released because I uh -oh. because my thoughts started changing and I kept changing them as I was going. But towards the end of last year, I had something pretty strong in place, and so. I think I'm going to write something, and then uh, if I like it and, and it resonates with some people, we'll see if it gets published through a publisher mm -hmm. or if it just goes out somewhere. Um, okay. One of the things I want to do to like validate my ideas is A, these interviews, but then B, I hired a sketch artist, and I'm going to do like a two-hour presentation to the sketch artist, which I think is the the trajectory of what I want to write about. And I want to see what kind of pictures she draws because I've been blown away. I was speaking at Intel one time with Don Reinertsen and, and uh, Dave Kneffen guy, who's his oh, yeah. last name. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, and the sketch artist was so sketching my talk. And yeah, yeah. And I was so distracted. I wanted to say, just look at what she writes every once in a while, what she's doing because it's a better presentation. And so I'm really excited to see how the sketch artist frames the ideas. Mm -hmm. And that'll probably that'll probably help tell me, should it be something in a book? Should it be a bunch of posts? Should it be maybe a little video series? Because mm -hmm. I think I could shoot sort of a really unconventional, you know, Blair Witch Project set of videos yeah. that would probably convey as much as a book. Well, David, I have to tell you, um, the uh, the music um, you you had a video production at uh, at some point, some really good instructional videos, right? Um, a few yeah. years ago, you you uh, you own a coffee shop. Um, I mean, you're an extremely creative person out in the uh, in the industry. So, like a a book would just be um, complete the uh, the list of things, I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people were like just heard from you that there was a couple of books in the drawer um, at your place. You might be interested in hearing what's uh, what's in those, so you might want to read those and see if there's some things that uh, should come out of that drawer. Um, David, I want to want to ask you about one thing. Um, I want to be totally honest here with you. You, you as I said, you you sold your baby, um, which is a very hard thing to do, I would assume. Um, the baby here is Def Jam, <laughs> um, and um, a lot of people who would do something like this, they would start with something totally new, they have a brand new start of something. You keep you keep actually one foot in the industry. Why? What what still attaches you to, to Agile? What drives you here? Mm -hmm. And I'm more I think I'm more attached to the industry than I'm attached to Agile. And I'm not divorced from Agile. It's just like you know, a new music movement starts. Imagine that you and I were sitting around and we happen to know all these hep cats that started the bebop jazz movement. Mm -hmm. You know, people still play bebop, but it's not new anymore. It's not insignificant. It's just not novel. And it mm -hmm. makes it more difficult to kind of... It's more of a vehicle that starts another musical movement. And that's that's more of like where my heart and soul is. Um, mm -hmm. The reason I want to stay connected to industry, in fact, I want to do... I want to spend more time with people at companies trying to work in the context of their problem space. I've never been really one to sort of do a drive-by teaching. I've never taught public courses for any length of time because I always felt like I had to turn everything into hello world. So what I want to do with my time right now is, well, then they go back to their company and it's not hello world, it's hello reality, you know, mm -hmm. and it doesn't work. It's, I saw the same thing when people used to go to like code camps, you know, you know, wound up on some new technology. And as Stu Halloway once said, 
when you got your bright new shiny hammer, all the world's a thumb. <laughs> That's super funny. Yeah. But in the Agile community, we've done the same thing. So I want to stay connected to the industry, but I want to really see like who's doing new interesting things with incremental product and customer validation and that's not doesn't mean it's process only it doesn't mean it's product only it doesn't mean it's divorced from technology mm. you know if you could sort of take take the process out of the picture initially and sort of merge customer product and service learning mm -hmm. with sort of all these sort of modern things that are happening in the technology space i hesitate saying devops because i don't know really know what that means anymore mm -hmm. you could put those two together I think you could see amazing things. In fact, you know, I've been involved in, I've been fortunate enough to be part of this um, chaos day in San Francisco. The first one I went to was in Amazon. It was sponsored by Netflix, but you had Heroku and Google and mm -hmm. uh, New Relic and all these neat people there. Mm -hmm. And it was more, it was more technology driven, sort of like XP, but it wasn't like, how can we do a faster build? It's like, how can we make our systems more resilient and more approachable for our customers? Mm -hmm. That feels like the right horizon. That's nice. the space I want to be in. So, you know, I answer your question succinctly. Mm -hmm. I want to stay close to the people in the industry that are doing that kind of innovation. Right. Yeah, you were definitely, you were, you have always been at the forefront of all that, um, David. And um, I just want to use this here at the end of the, the podcast to, um, you know, Honestly, wish you good luck here with uh, in the next, the coming months, your trips, and, uh, and if you, everything you do in the uh, interim. I'll see you in February in, in Miami uh, at the Agile Miami uh, conference, the leadership conference, agilemiami.org. And uh, that's, the, that's the site. Good luck with your Agile Day in Twin Cities. Um, and um, thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts. Yeah, you're welcome. And like... Probably the best place to find, plus place to find some of my thoughts as they, you know, whatever they turn into books or or posts is, for a while, and I'll put some energy into this little site I cooked up called productagility.org because I think it has some of these ideas. Mm -hmm. It's inspired by the, you know, that thing that was done by the CTO of the United States, the digital playbook, which mm -hmm. I think is really a nice evolution of like the Agile Manifesto. But thanks for having me, dude. Appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. Definitely give that uh, visit, uh, that website a visit, and uh, thank you. And you're the dude. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, ciao. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.